0: Welcome aboard. We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime. Ready when you are, CB.
1: Action. Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 115. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are joined by a very special guest this week. You know him from such episodes as The Black Cauldron, as well as... Well, which, oh, which Age of Ultron. I knew it was an Avengers movie. It was yes. Age of Ultron. Our good buddy Pat is back. Pat, welcome back. Good to be back, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, thank us in about an hour, because we're here to <laughs> discuss 2010's The Sorcerer's Apprentice. So we just came off of the 80th birthday of Fantasia. We just reviewed the film last week. And when the conversation started of what is the movie that we're going to follow Fantasia with, some people would think, well, wouldn't Fantasia 2000 make sense? Well, it would, except there's a movie where Nicolas Cage plays a sorcerer. And right away, we said, we have to jump on this and we have to get Pat involved.
2: Yeah, we hadn't seen it prior to reviewing it for the show so I honestly wasn't sure what we were getting ourselves into I wasn't sure if this was just loosely based on the title Sorcerer's Apprentice or if conceptually it had anything in common with the animated short or the animated vignette in Fantasia yeah. I should say Yeah. but I uh, yeah I had no idea what I was getting myself into had you seen this yet Pat
0: I had seen uh, bits of it on television Like, it's one of those movies that showed up, like, randomly on the channels, like, over and over for an extended period of time. Yeah. So I know that I had seen it before, but I knew that, like, as I was watching it, I was like, I'm not getting the full experience of this, am I?
1: Yeah, this is probably one of those movies that aired on TNT at, like, 2.30 in the morning, religiously. That's probably it, yeah. But uh, we're going to go ahead and lay down the plot here, and then we're going to discuss this movie and... Specifically, we're going to have to discuss whether or not this is at all a tie-in to Fantasia. The movie opens in 740 AD. Merlin has three apprentices. Uh, apprentices Balthasar Blake, Veronica uh, Gorloyson, I think that's how you pronounce it, and Maxime Horvath. Maxime joins forces with Morgana Le Fay, and together they kill Merlin. Veronica sacrifices herself, sucking Morgana's soul into her own body to save Balthazar. Balthazar then traps them in the Grimhold in an attempt to save Veronica's life. As Merlin is dying, he gave Balthazar his dragon figure, which eventually becomes a ring, and it would lead them to Merlin's successor, the Prime Merlinian. Flash forward to the year 2000, Dave Stutler strays away from a school field trip and runs into Balthazar. When the child touches the dragon figure, it wraps itself around his finger to form that ring. Dave opens the Grimhold, freeing Horvath, who along with Balthazar is imprisoned in a Chinese urn for 10 years. Well, 10 years later, Dave is a physics student at NYU where he sees Becky, his childhood crush. Horvath and Balthazar are released from the urn now that their 10-year curse is over, and they set off to find Dave and the Grimhold. Horvath gets there first, but Balthazar saves Dave, and they go to find the Grimhold because Dave just threw it in the street and never saw it again. They track it down to Chinatown, but Horvath has beaten them to it. After a scuffle, Dave uses magic, and they gain possession of the Grimhold. Dave decides that he wants to learn to be a sorcerer, and Balthazar begins to teach him, because up to this point he was very reluctant in becoming the Prime Merlinian. Meanwhile, Horvath enlists magician Drake Stone to help him defeat Balthazar and Dave. Dave develops a romantic relationship with Becky, much to the dismay of Balthazar. Drake and Horvath track Dave down, but... Balthazar saves him again and tells Dave that Morgana is in the Grimhold and that he is of the same blood as Merlin and therefore he is, uh, of course, the prime Merlinian who will save the world. This sounds like I'm skipping parts And I'm not. After a series (laughs) of mistakes, Dave loses faith in his abilities and Horvath and Drake get possession of the Grimhold. Dave saves Balthazar for a change and they pursue the Grimhold. However, they let them get away. They let uh, Drake and Horvath get away. Balthazar tells Dave the truth about Veronica and Dave promises they will save her when they defeat Morgana. Horvath casts a parasite spell on Drake and steals his magic and his ring, and he kidnaps Becky. Dave gives the ring up to save Becky's life along with the Grimhold, and Horvath goes to Battery Park to free Morgana. Horvath releases her, and she begins to unleash their plot to raise the dead of the evil sorcerers to destroy the world by conducting electricity off of satellites and broadcast towers around Manhattan. Balthazar tries to stop them, while Becky repositions a satellite to break up the electric signal— Dave arrives in Balthazar's car, which he has attached one of his coils to. These were coils he was working with throughout the movie as a part of an experiment that he was doing for NYU. Balthazar draws Morgana out of Veronica and into himself because now he wants to save Veronica's life, but Morgana breaks free and attempts to kill them. Free of his ring, Dave defeats her, proving that he is, in fact, the Prime Merlinian. He learns that Balthazar has been killed but uses his powers and his magic to revive him. And then he and Becky fly off on an Iron Eagle to go have breakfast in France. Um, like you do. Like you do. Like you do. Okay. Um, let's let's start to unpackage this a little bit. <laughs> um, I have to say that early on, early on, I loved the medieval sets oh yeah I thought that they were one of the stronger parts of the movie and I thought that they did a good job of trying to lay the groundwork notice I said trying yeah they tried to lay the groundwork early and I very much appreciated that effort
2: I'm actually gonna disagree with you And I'm even going to go so far as to say that I am not sure Jerry Bruckheimer was the right producer for this one. No. (laughs) I mean, I love Jerry Bruckheimer, and I think the medieval set worked, but we spent hours upon hours talking about how amazing Pirates of the Caribbean was and how period-accurate they got it and how even though you're dealing with zombie pirates, it still feels like a historical piece it's a historical fiction really um but here other than the medieval sets I don't know that it worked like I I guess I wanted more of a national treasure kind of vibe where they did blend the old and new and there was a lot more hiding in plain sight
0: I gotta tell you, like, I I like the sets and I like the design of everything. And just the idea of starting in the medieval setting was a good thing. The only complaint that I have about it was that it only lasted two minutes.
1: So, yeah, this is... I think now this... I will throw this out there now so that I don't repeat myself over and over again. But this is probably the biggest fault that the movie has. Is that they try to jam in too much too fast. Absolutely. I totally
2: agree. And I think that's why I'm not appreciating the the set as much as I could be, because we spend so little time here and and it is cool. And of course, where else are you going to start other than with Merlin? And you're going to obviously set him up passing the torch. But this this part doesn't breathe at all. They I mean, obviously, you're going to give us a little bit of backstory, but they are jamming way too much into too short of a time here.
0: Do you think it was a matter that they tried to make it a longer set, a longer piece in the movie, but it got lost in editing? Or it got lost in, like, you know, reframing everything? Like, maybe they shot a bunch more in that old setting, but they didn't end up using it in the final product? I
1: feel like we've talked about this a lot on this show, where movies get trimmed to the point where things... For actually, the Black Cauldron is a perfect example. The Show the episode the first time you were on the show with us. Mm-hmm. That feels like a movie that got hacked up because it is a movie that got hacked up. Yeah, this doesn't feel that way. This just feels like they tried to stuff ten pounds of stuff in a five pound bag, and it just doesn't work.
2: I think it's a little a column A, little column B. I think that they were trying to cram a lot in, but I think it did get cut down quite a bit because I can't imagine in your best set, you would have wanted to rush through that. You would have wanted to explore it a little bit more.
0: Yeah.
1: All right.
2: And I think also part of that too is you give us backstory, you know, in medieval times, and then we're getting technically more backstory because even though when we see Dave as a kid, it's not a flashback, but they do the time jump. So you really are spending a lot of time Setting up the present. Right. Let's get to the present. Um, Jimmy World has no place in Disney movies.
0: That's how you could... But how else are you supposed to tell that it's in the 2000s? <laughs> you have to have that song. The guy who picked the music for this really knows his stuff. Yeah. don't. Everything will be all right, all right. Um, oh, man. The
1: I really like the setup with this dragon ring. I like the premise of it. I like the fact that it's sort of like a talisman that calls to somebody or that that, that reacts to somebody. Kind of like Harry Potter, the wand chooses you. Exactly. So I thought that for something that's not necessarily staying true to any sort of source material, I started to really dig where they were going here.
0: I did actually think it was a little too Harry Potter-ish. Like, you know, you are the chosen one because reasons. And like, if he had done something to prove that he was like worthy of being Merlin's successor, or if he had done something like, uh, you know, you know, selfless, or you know, showing that he had bravery or something like that, instead it was just he wanders into a shop and it's just like, oh, ring fits, basically.
2: Yeah, I mean, you kind of they're they're developing the character a little bit. You get that he he sees the world differently. I really like that setup where he doodled on the window and then he has it lined up with the Empire State Building. So I thought that was kind of a cool introduction for Dave. Um, and I did like how they led up to it with Balthazar searching through the ages and trying to find him. but I feel like I feel like that was almost kind of forced. Like, the thing with the note, I think it was a cute intro to set up him and Becky, but I feel like it was so far-fetched with him chasing that note all over the city.
0: Yeah. Also, like, and this is something that I will bring up at least two or three more times. There are seven or eight stories in this movie that would have made a much better movie than what we got. And one of them, for sure, is Nicolas Cage going century to century trying to find Merlin's... uh, a successor yeah I think
1: I would have been down with that yeah yeah I think that it would have made for a mu- I'll put it to you this way if that's not where they wanted to go with it there is so much back and forth throughout this movie and I can appreciate the fact that they tried to keep the action going because the movie doesn't really ever slow down so much as when it starts to go somewhere it gets hurt because of wonky pacing because they try to jab another snatch and grab in there. Yeah, I would have preferred knocking out at least two of those interactions to expand on this idea that he is living immortality century to century finding this successor.
2: But I mean, that's not the movie, right? Because it is the Sorcerer's Apprentice that is our main character. It's about his story. It's about his call to action. However, to your point, had they done that, I mean, I think it would have made for a much more interesting story. But as it turns out, they didn't just base this movie on the title Sorcerer's Apprentice. Right. They really did zero in on the main character and him learning. And
1: I like the set inside the shop. I think that's probably the best part about this scene, is the way that they dress the set. It looks like something quirky that you would find in Lower Manhattan. It kind of reminded me of Ray's Occult from Ghostbusters 2. It did, yeah. Right? Um, But I think here... If you're going to find a negative with the set, it's where it kind of starts to feel a little, to coin the phrase that you guys just used, a little too Harry Potterish. Yeah. And I understand why they did that if they're trying to capitalize on what was hot at the time. I mean, we talked a couple of weeks ago about Return to Oz and how in the mid 80s you had those fantastical movies like. The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth and The NeverEnding Story, they're doing the same thing here. They're just trying to capitalize on what moviegoers wanted to see.
2: I mean, I like the collection of oddities. I think it works, especially because as they're going through, Balthazar is pointing out, Oh, that's an old urn. I have something like every everything serves a purpose. It's not just a hodgepodge of stuff. And I do believe that as he's traveling through the centuries, he is making a collection. We're almost tiptoeing into the Avengers collector, I think, a little bit. Um, What I don't think works, and I'm honestly surprised that we've gotten about 15 or so minutes into this episode where... I have not said anything yet about Nicolas Cage.
0: Yeah. Um, I was going to bring up before then that the apparently he kept a, the, the, the disembodied head of a, a little girl in his collection. But okay. Um, <laughs> let's talk about his performance instead. <laughs> it's
2: not just the performance. Because the performance is actually subdued. But what doesn't work for me, especially in this Harry Potter oddities collection is the glam rock thing that he's got going on. I mean, I get that they probably tried to make him look like Yensid, who was modeled after Disney, and that's how the animators made him look in Sorcerer's Apprentice. Mm. Um, So I get the long hair. I can live with it, even though it's a terrible wig. But what I don't understand is like the studded leather
1: thing. Well, I think... On top of also trying to capitalize on the trend that was Harry Potter, when you have a movie about magic and sorcery, thinking back to two thousand ten, here we go.
0: Who is the guy? Well, there's another character that is literally him. Yeah, it Chris on, Angel, but it's we, Chris Angel. We literally yeah, get yeah. a Chris
1: Angel ripoff, and in Drake Stone, and I kind of feel like that's what they were trying to do with the whole glam rock thing.
2: See, I I like the character Drake works,
1: but I'm just no. saying I see where it comes from.
2: Right. I do like the character Drake Stone because he's a spoof, but where I think they sort of pulled from was pirates, the way that Johnny tried to glam rock Jack Sparrow and it worked for
1: him, it doesn't here. So is that is that the way that he's playing the part? Actually no.
2: I, I have less of an issue with the way that he's playing it and more of an issue with the way that they design this character. And that that's actually not all Cage's fault.
1: There's a team of people who made these decisions. Sure. So now we've got Jay Baruchel in the film as a grown-up version of Dave and...
0: It it gets so Jay Baruchel so fast. It's it goes from zero to Baruchel in, it, in, in, an in thirty seconds.
2: I honestly forgot he was in this. That was a pleasant surprise, and I didn't realize he was going to be the lead. I thought he was going to be like a background character. I was not expecting that. Time or because when you at all. hear
0: also starring Jay Baruchel, you expect him to be a side character, right? Or you expe- right. You expect him, or if he's in the lead, it's a flat out comedy. Exactly. Uh, but like, here's this is going to tread so lightly because I really like Jay Baruchel. Was he the guy? Was he the guy they wanted for this? Or were they looking for something? Because nothing here except for the stammering is specifically Jay Baruchel in his element. It's really just kind of like thrown in there.
2: I agree with you because it doesn't play. It's not like a Paul Rudd where he's got like that that awkwardness that makes him funny. Here he's just awkward, yeah. but I don't feel like they do anything to capitalize on
0: the humor. Also, it doesn't bounce off of the other characters very well. It just stands out on its own. It rolls like an egg, where he's just kind of there, and then every... There are some scenes, there are literal scenes where they show him saying hi awkwardly to something and then just cut to miles away because nothing is interesting about this. When he's in Chinatown and a bunch of people come up to him, and he just goes... Hey, how's it going? And then the scene ends. Like, he needs to be able to bounce off of other personalities, and he can't be the final word of it.
2: I think the science-y stuff works for him. I believe him as the physics nerd, but you're right. Past that, this really could have been anybody anybody's game. What I do like that they did with the character, though, there's always a touch of red with Dave. When he's a kid, it's the backpack, then, when he's older, he's got the red hoodie, and that is a nod to Mickey's right. red robe.
0: I didn't even pick up on that. That's a good thing. Yeah.
1: The, certain things that they do, like when he sees Becky and he tries to explain why he, he thought he saw magic, and he said it's a glucose imbalance, and it's not all that uncommon. Like, that's not necessary dialogue for this movie, but coming out of the mouth of Jay Barashell. It works? It almost sounds like an ad lib when he says it like that. And it may have been. I'm not sure. But, like, there are certain elements, like, you know, that, for example, where it works. But in other instances, I think you're both right. This could have been anybody. And it's no knock at Baruchel, because I, too, like Jay Baruchel a lot. But I think certainly you see that he works better... In those Apatow comedies, more so than he works even as the reluctant hero in a Disney movie.
2: But you know what's so funny, though, is I've been racking my brain all week trying to think who I would have picked as a better option. And I don't know that there's anyone else I would
0: have cast either. I don't know the pool of actors that would have been available in like 2010. Uh, Definitely not. uh, What's his name? Uh, Scott Pilgrim. Oh, oh Michael Sarah. Michael Sarah. No, no, definitely no not. Way.
1: Not him. I, I feel like if you made this movie now Tom Holland, Tom Holland. Holland. Tom yeah. Holland yeah. 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 But yeah, I guess at the time, I mean who else did you couldn't you weren't gonna use Efron because he's not awkward enough. Right. I mean you could have used him because he had a Disney contract and he would have been a, a a name, but he wouldn't have had the awkwardness that I think they were going with with Dave.
2: Well I guess that's the challenge because just based on the character and that it is the blend of science and magic, you are sort of towing that Spider-Man line. That's, I mean, that's science and
1: superpowers. It's
2: different, but I feel like to have that awkward, the awkward comedy thing, it just would have been too much.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, because even Andrew Garfield, I don't think could have done it because that was always my big issue with him and Spider-Man is that he's, he's too obnoxious. He's too... Self-confident to be Peter Parker.
2: I think he might have been a little too old for this. That's the other thing. At the time, Tom Holland was probably too young.
1: Mm. Yeah, so Holland couldn't do it. Yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah, I mean, well, listen, we got the movie with Jay Baruchel. That's what. Yeah, we that's have, what we <laughs> have. Yeah, and that's what we have.
0: And now we're dealing with it. But
1: yeah, I mean, I I felt that I thought he and Cage worked well together. Um. There's some more characters that I don't think he worked well with at all, but let's put a pin in that, and let's let's move on a little bit here, specifically with the next big set that you get, which is this old subway station. Again, this is Ghostbusters 2. It's the old subway <laughs> station. Ninja Turtles. Either of them. Either of them. But you have this old subway station that he is doing this, rather elaborate project in and they have record of it but it's unauthorized but they know he's doing it and they told him to go there the professor has a hookup how but but if it's unauthorized why did they put him there cuz the university put him there
0: also if his name is on record why wasn't he why doesn't he have any supervision whatsoever using that type of equipment as a student
1: exactly I feel like this is something you would see Tony Stark do at MIT. I mm. don't buy that this physics student at NYU is pulling any of this off.
2: You're absolutely right. Because, yeah, if this was Tony Stark, it would have been underground because he was brushing off authority. This is like they set him up. They they let him totally take it and run with it, which is fine. And it's, it's a cool set. I'm not knocking that because sign me up for any kind of... New York City underground subway set. like, And I'm glad that you brought that up because I love Ghostbusters. I love Ninja Turtles. I I feel like that is something that kind of got lost to the 90s. But what this movie does differently that I don't like as much is that they don't really use New York City as a character the way that those others two do.
0: It could have been any city, really.
2: Exactly. I mean... You had to give him the subway station. But as far as everything else that they do with New York, like NYU, that's a very, very small piece of New York. And it's a very unrelatable.
0: It's, it's just a bunch of buildings scattered throughout the city. There's not really like a monument or anything to really recognize NYU. It's just kind of there.
2: Exactly. But even like being from New York, think about your own network and how how many people realistically do you know that have actually gone there you know it's not something where it's like they went to a yankee game or a mets game like it's just not as widespread relatable as certain other things and even battery park is not you know
0: eh. i i think they did it because the last scene involves electricity and they wanted to be clever about it oh yeah. I'm
2: with you now. Okay. Even Okay, still. that works. Other than bringing
0: the gargoyles
1: from the Chrysler building to life and bringing the bull statue to life by Battery Park, you're right, because they could have used satellites and broadcast towers from any city. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no monument here that you sit there and go, oh, yeah, that's definitely new. Men in Black is a perfect example there you go. of a film there you that go. uses its setting as a character. Yeah. And they don't pull that off here at all,
2: right? Because even like with the Wall Street Bull, like is it a landmark? Sure, but it's not the same. And okay, you can't do the Statue of Liberty again because we've seen it, but it's just. There were a lot of other different directions they could have taken it, like even even the Museum of Natural History or something yes. like just to have. And I, I then you're towing the line with Night of the Museum. I get it. But well,
0: why not have the, why not have like the, the the knickknack shop that Nicolas Cage owns and just freaks teenagers out in? Because apparently that's what he does with his life. I like to think like just like personally that that's what he does in his off time anyway. He just owns a knick-knack shop and convinces like kids to come in for a second and then just spooks them. But <laughs> I think that that could have been like they could have had like a series of those shops like in in the Bowery or something like that or like a uh, something in like the East Village like where they have like all these crazy shops and things like that. Like they lost they lost like one very valuable piece of like merchandise halfway like into the movie it could have been lost in any of those shops there could have been a lot more variety of things to do that and it would have made sense for the area
2: right and to do more of like a scavenger hunt uh, maybe Merlin's stuff is like sprinkled throughout the city and they have to go track it down and that's what the sorcerer's apprentice would need to become the prime Merlinian
1: there's a lot of ways they could have gone with this and I guess by by the time we get to our end of the review, we can decipher whether or not they did it the right way or the wrong way. But I mean, yeah, you can sit here and laundry list movies that use their cities and their settings to their advantage. Ferris Bueller's Day Off and and Blues Brothers, both Chicago. Yeah, right. There's just so there's a treasure trove here, and it does seem like it's a bit of a swing and a miss.
2: Even like the next scene. Almost every city has a Chinatown. I mean, this is cool. I kind of like how they played this out with the confetti and that they unleashed the first villain here. Um, and, and Dave really did have to start testing what he's made of. Yeah. Um. So I think that was cool, but it really could have taken place anywhere.
0: Also, do we have to point out that this is the like second major movie where Jay Baruchel has to control a dragon?
1: That's right. Doesn't he do that in This Is The End? Well...
0: I was thinking more literally how to train your dragon. Oh.
1: Oh. (laughs) I've actually never seen that.
0: I haven't seen it either. You should. It's good. But, uh, you know, I I, I just thought that that was like a really funny connection. But the other thing about that was that in Chinatown, they also, uh, they have such an opportunity for more great like set pieces and things like that. And all we really see is the inside of one building. Right. And a street fair for a couple of seconds.
2: I really do love and I mean you know it's cage so he had to do something like this right where he says he says something in what is it mandarin he
0: says something in cantonese I it love is this. cantonese
2: yeah yeah he realizes that it's Horvath in disguise and much like wicker man he smacks a woman again
1: <laughs> This is hysterical though <laughs> not not the domestic abuse no no uh, but but you know uh perspective here but it was just one of those like shocking moments that you're like he just plain smacked her across the room and then you realize that it's it's alfred molina and so it ends up being very lighthearted. but i love this bit and i actually like this for the character because up to this point in time you kind of don't know where nicholas cage ends and balthazar begins um because he's not as cagey as he is in a lot of these movies that he does, but you kind of don't know. The the, the line is not there. And I love that they took this opportunity to show that not only is he very clever, but he is well-traveled and he is very smart. I thought this was a strong... I think it's a strong scene for Balthazar that's probably underappreciated for the character.
0: This is why I think Balthazar should have had a little bit more scenes where you just see him reacting to the world around him and not just him bouncing off of uh, Jay Baruchel because I really think that him as a character could have worked a lot better in different situations and you only see him in the same three.
2: Right, because he's immortal. So he's seen some stuff traveling the world trying to track this kid down. So you'd like to see that come out more. And what's funny is that I think even Nicolas Cage knows that he's being cast in a Disney film, so he's not going to get as much liberty as he normally does. And I don't expect to see this in something like National Treasure. Of course I expect him to be subdued. But here is, you know, just based on the aesthetic of the character, you do expect him to be a little bit more eccentric.
0: You use the term subdued, and I prefer the word sedated. (laughs) He he was so... I wanted one scene, just one scene where he goes full on crazy Nicolas Cage because Nicolas Cage's biggest strengths are that he can jump from one extreme to the other. He can be really subtle and and then just screaming his head off and like, you know, just like throwing stuff around the room. I think all of the energy he was going to use in this movie, he saved up for Mandy where he just screams dousing himself in a bottle of vodka for 5 minutes on screen.
1: <laughs> I the most KG he gets is when you love physics. That's <laughs>
0: that's about as
1: that's about as off the rails as they let him go, but you're right. He literally is in three scenes in this movie. Train the kid, snatch and grab, save the kid. Yeah. That's it. That's all he does in this entire
0: movie.
2: And even that I'm sorry, but this training montage is
0: weak sauce. It needed a real training montage, not just a whole bunch of scenes of him throwing crap at the kid and just going like, yeah, you're making progress. And then he just throws lightning at him.
1: Exactly. I like, let's talk about the lightning and the electricity. I like that they went this route. I like that they did try to tie it in to, I, I guess this is where, They thought that they could tie it into Manhattan with the satellites, but you could just do it everywhere. But I like that they try to bridge the gap between the physics that Dave is studying and his true calling in life. And I also like the fact that you took something that is real, okay, and it's about harnessing something that is real in this world. So it's not so fantastical. You have ordinary elements in in, that exist in, in reality with extraordinary people harnessing them. I love the fact that they went this route. I actually thought this was probably the smartest thing they did in this movie.
2: I agree. I really thought that that was something that only Marvel could master as far as taking your average Joe and making them a superhero. But to me, this was as good as the spider bite and as believable.
0: There are parts of it that I really enjoyed. I'm, I'm a little... This is probably just me because I'm a little jaded from seeing this too many times. I'm tired of the movies where they try to explain magic through science, and they try to connect the two of them. Everything, Every scene where they did that, even the scene where Nicolas Cage is in the car, and he's explaining everything in a very... like You could tell it was a very well-thought-out way, where he's just like, everything's just... A, the molecules are vibrating. You have to control and will them to move. That makes kind of sense because I'm not a scientist. But also... At the same time, all I kept thinking was the scene where Thor is explaining to Jane that magic and science are one and the same and they use the world's tree as a diagram. I kept thinking about that the entire time. And also, like, the idea of them like, okay, well, then explain the science of pointing to a poster of wolves and having actual wolves come out. I liked the wolves. I liked... I liked the
1: magic of it. Yeah. How weird is it that the best magic movie of the past like 10 years, is Burt Wonderstone, <laughs> by the way.
0: <laughs> I can't be the only one that feels this way. I, I mean, it, it certainly captured the magic of Jim Carrey putting a drill through his head, but uh, other than that, yeah. I, I will say this, though, when I when I think of this movie and I think of how they used the magic and how they used everything with this, the parts where they were using elements itself felt like they had to use a lot more energy and a lot more hand motions and a lot of, it reminded me so much of like Avatar the Last Airbender and how they're controlling the elements. Even like in the show they would use lightning because they could control fire. Uh when uh Horvath first shows up, the first thing he does is not like just conjure fire. He steals it from the fireplace and throws it at Nicholas Cage. And then I thought to myself, oh he he's a firebender. Like that's just what he is. But then, like, there are some other things where it's just, like, there's no way of, like, scientifically explaining it.
2: To that point, what I also would have really liked to see more of, especially because the training was so weak, I think it would have been more effective if Dave was gassed trying to learn this. And because he is trying to use so much energy to harness everything around him, I think that would have made it a little bit more dynamic if if he only... You know, if he was trying to build up to be able to master everything and because he's not used to it, his body is just giving out on him.
1: There would have been more at stake here if he would have had to learn the balance. Yes. Between everything. And that just doesn't happen here. Instead, we get him playing One Direction with lightning and electricity and the coils Oh, that was
0: One Republic. Oh,
1: one Republic. What did I say? One I, Direction? Yeah, one I was Republic. Say, That I
0: would have made a much different <laughs> movie, and I would have hated it outright. But the, uh, oh my God, I hope you're not tired of that song, because they play it like so many times.
2: They must have had some contract with Disney, because then they were also using right. it in the commercial for like Good two life. years. Yeah. That's right.
0: That was the Good Life song on the Parks commercials. I will tell you this, though. I know that they p- picked that song because it was uh, the love interest. Who, by the way, her name is Becky Barnes. Bucky Barnes, Becky Barnes. Oh, I catch that. I caught that immediately. But also uh, the fact that they use that as like the song because like she loves that song. She played it once on a radio show and he just is just like, I listen to your show and I I learned how to use all of the magic and science in this room (laughs) to make it replicated. That's not the creepiest Mm -hmm. thing on the planet.
2: I mean that is a mixtape on steroids.
1: I mean what what makes no sense is that she is not at all horrified by what's happening around her. Like I would be like, "Oh my god, this creep took me into his dungeon. He's obsessed <laughs> with me and he's going to shoot lightning at me." He literally said the phrase, "Come on, step into my cage." I was so happy that we got to get in the cage. <laughs> I was so happy that in this movie, we got to get in the cage. And it's a literal cage. And it is a literal cage. And they literally need to get in it. But I wish Nicholas Cage would have gotten in the cage.
0: (laughs) I would have died. She was brought down to an underground area that he has because he said out loud that he has to do it there because his experiments got too dangerous to be around normal people.
2: That was my big question. (laughs) I don't know anything about science, but wouldn't that cage be a conductor? It's metal. Wouldn't yeah. you want, like, a rubber ball or something
1: to hide in? Yeah. Yeah. And He's mean... the physics guy. Ask him. <laughs> He's got his old man shoes that'll protect him, but oh, she's Lord. got, like, flip-flops on.
0: Or boots. I would have actually loved it if he was just like, yeah, it's perfectly safe because he wears the same shoes all the time. And then the minute that he put on the shoes that Nicolas Cage insisted that he wear, he just immediately gets bug-zapped and just falls to the ground. Yeah. <laughs>
1: let's talk about the introduction here of uh of drake stone we talked to, about it before how he is clearly a rip off of uh of chris angel no different than when you saw them remake fright night and they have peter vincent it's the same
0: thing it's the exact same thing i had that written down in my notes too
2: but see i think a touch like this and adding this layer to the story is what actually starts to redeem this movie because not only is, is this character kind of a hack we see that he does have actual powers and he is one of Merlin's descendants or he, and and he makes the whole case of my sorcerer just abandoned me and I had to figure it all out on my own. And like, this is where he landed because he was left to his own devices. So I actually really like that
1: they did this. I like that they did this. It's good comic relief because the movie does get very heavy with the science. And you needed more than just Jay Baruchel, who is very funny on his own, mind you. But you needed more than just his awkwardness to lighten the mood of the movie a little bit. And I like that they went in this direction because I find him funny. I love that Jay Baruchel... Asked him if he was in Depeche Mode. That was funny. That <laughs> I was thought a good that line. was
0: brilliant writing. But I was—I yeah. was actually just going to ask you—he—he's supposed to be the comedic relief. I think he's supposed to be. I thought he was. Whether that's intentional or not, I thought it was. Maybe this is because. All right. I think that anytime they have done—they've done this in movies, and I, it, the same thing happened with *Fright Night*, and the same thing will happen here. When I watch this, this puts a permanent date on the movie that you can't really escape from
2: that is a very good point
0: like that you have like I can see people watching this now like if the movie's designed for kids I can see kids like going like well that's weird that character just kind of doesn't fit in with anything anywhere and then you have to go "Nah, you see there was this guy mind freak he did the thing with the cars and stuff whatever he, he we loved him for some reason like all the time and it, it just puts a permanent spot on that more so than one republic does but not so much. Yeah. Um I I guess well I I understand what you're saying. You're absolutely
1: right about how the movie is dated immediately because when Chris Angel gets to a point where he's no longer as popular or relevant as he was, I mean this is the trap that these movies set for themselves when they're making the movie for right now. Yeah. And I think especially Disney for a company that's known for having films that transcend generations, it's sort of head scratching that they would paint themselves into a corner with something that is so pop culture specific to the
0: moment that movie got released even even enchanted like you look at it and it's filled with references to stuff but you can still kind of tell like that's not a product of its time like you can still kind of watch that movie and kind of enjoy parts of it but I think like just the, having a flat-out Chris Angel character in there is a bad decision.
2: Wow, Pat's really going going for the jugular with an Enchanted reference. I don't, but, but that <laughs> you is, came to play today. You came
1: to play. That's one of my favorite Disney movies. It climbs my list every single time I watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. <laughs> um, no, I
2: mean, I do agree with you. I think... The Chris Angel specific aspects do date this movie. And I think that that goes as far as like the Drake stone haircut and the gothy, punk gothy aesthetic. But I feel like this happens almost once a generation where there is some new magician that tries to, you know, break the mold.
0: David Blaine Exactly Before Chris Angel it was him
2: and, Yeah and but that was only like gonna 3 be years
0: before Chris Angel That wasn't a whole generation
2: They did overlap but, but I do like, feel like David we're going
0: to see this again yes. yeah. yeah
1: Yeah
2: So that that is kind of once every 10 15 I years I can't or wait for so, the next one to
0: show up <laughs>
2: That's all
1: I'm saying <laughs> Well we're almost due for one Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Just like we were due for movie quotes inside of movies.
0: Yeah.
1: This is the hallmark I'm of like... more times than not a really crappy script. Yes. Sometimes it's done and it's and it's funny. And then there are other times where it's done and you just groan out loud.
0: I did it right now, and I don't even know what you were going to be talking about. I have an idea of what which wine you're going to be talking about, but I don't even know the specifics. These are not the droids. The, I knew the specifics. <laughs> there we go. As
1: soon, as soon as... Now, just to set this up, if you haven't seen the movie or if you need a refresher, this is where... Uh, Maxime Horvath goes to the university and just walks up to like a hall monitor, mind you. This is just a kid at a desk. This is an RA at a desk. Yeah, And he just walks up to him to get information on Dave and the kid says, I need your identification card. And he takes out his walking stick that's got his, I don't know. His Jafar stick. His Jafar stick comes out and he goes you don't need my identification card. And the kid goes, I don't need your identification. And I'm thinking, "This is um, these are not the droids you're, and no sooner do I think that, does Drake Stone go, these are not the droids you're looking for. And it's like, did you just call yourself out on your bad screenwriting? See, you
0: could write hacky scripts for a living. Right. Yeah. It's just all you need to do <laughs> is just think of the most obvious joke and then try not to dig yourself out any, any further.
2: I mean, I don't, probably take as much offense to that as you do because I'm not the diehard Star Wars fan that you are but yeah it's it's still crappy writing regardless
0: It's it's crappy writing because it's just the reference and nothing else added It's like it has right. no it has no flavor on anything Remember in Avengers uh Endgame where all they're doing is talking about time travel movies but the point of that is all no none of that is true like you you don't understand reality or in I don't believe I'm bringing this movie up for this, but in Tusk, where <laughs> where, where they, they do the thing on the paper and they go like, that's amazing. And he goes like, it's from the Big Lebowski. And he goes, that's actually where I learned how to do it. Like, <laughs> walrus, yes. Walrus, yes.
2: Walrus, always, yes. I mean, some movies, though, are so iconic where no matter how far removed we're going to you'll get the pop culture reference like the Star Wars like the Big Lebowski like I mean how many movies have said we're going to need a bigger something
0: as the nod to Jaws Yeah,
2: and that's when I usually roll my eyes but like when done right it's not so bad
0: can you name on, on one hand movies that have used the phrase we're not in Kansas anymore like there's like there's so many lines that are just like there but the fact of the matter is he didn't need to say it the feeling was already there
1: yeah
2: off the top of my head. i shrunk the kids, by the way. Yes.
1: Um, let's talk about another, I think, polarizing scene. Um, oh, here it comes. Yep. That I think certainly, uh, I- I'm just going to out and out say it. It's a ripoff and it cheapens the movie, the broom scene. Let's talk about the broom scene. Let me, I, I want to start this conversation by asking... Did this movie need a broom scene?
0: It needed... It really didn't need this much of a hammering in that they are trying so hard to connect this to the title.
2: I keep going back and forth with this because you're right. Could we have just used the title Sorcerer's Apprentice and... Had it just based on the idea, sure, I would not have pegged this movie as the live action remake of Sorcerer's Apprentice because this was also before they really started cranking them out from you know, Beauty and the Beast and then they got into Alice in Wonderland and Cinderella and Aladdin, et cetera, et cetera. and you know they've basically said we're gonna remake every single one of the live actions. I don't think that that was the intent here, but, Somewhere along the line, this brilliant screenwriter who's quoting Star Wars also decided that because we have the Sorcerer's Apprentice title, we got to put the brooms in. Honestly, I didn't see it coming. And then once I realized what was happening, it was like a train wreck that I couldn't stop watching because, you know, they they do the setup where Becky's coming to the underground layer, and...
1: You sounded like Dr. Evil just now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: just underground lair. She's going to the underground lair. Um, and and he's trying to... Sh- which, by the way, there this is the second time she's going to visit him. There are way too many scenes in this movie. Like, they could have condensed this into just one date where she was going over. But anyway, the place is a mess. He shakes off Balthazar, and he realizes that he's got 15 minutes, and he's got to clean up. And then he goes to a custodial closet, not a broom closet, and there's like 17 mops in there. And it wasn't until that moment where I was like, oh, they're going to do the brooms. And briefly, I got excited. But then they creep the music under, and it's a blatant ripoff of Pirates of the Caribbean. It is. So
1: much like it.
2: And not that I expected them to use the full orchestra, but I thought maybe they would modernize the song a little bit not rip off pirates and then go straight for the actual composition. Yeah. It, it was just weird. Like as happy as I was, and I love those brooms. They are so iconic. I don't think we gushed over that sequence enough last week when we spoke about Fantasia, but I always get so excited to see the broom topiaries in the park or anytime I hear that music, it's just so married in my brain to those brooms. And and this just destroyed it for me. This sequence destroyed this movie more than Nicolas Cage was ever going to for me. <laughs> which I am shocked is a thing that I'm saying.
1: I think that you could have had an Easter egg. Just he uses one mop. Because let's not forget two things here. First, she has already been to the underground lair. Yeah. For the lightning concert. Okay. She's already been here. She's seen it. She she knows exactly what it is. Okay? Right. This whole thing happened because he spilled a can of Pepsi. It's one Did we even can see him soda. spill it? Yes. Oh, okay. I don't even remember. I that. actually then,
0: totally blanked out on that. I thought he was just doing it to clean up.
1: No, he spilled a can of Pepsi. No, and he's, then the dog. And then the, the dog is
2: like, "I'm standing in a puddle of pop. I have to clean this up." And, and I was like, dog, "Where did this and then even then the dog, dog pee on the yeah. floor?"
1: But this whole thing hilarious. But even still, a the dog, dog peed, they were going
2: to experiment with, by the way. Yeah,
1: yeah. the The dog pees on the floor, and you spill a can of Pepsi. One mop, one mop suffices. Yeah. So they they had to force in the mop scene it could have been one and it would have been like okay there's there's your tip of the cap and this is fine
2: right but because all a sudden way. all of a sudden there's this sink full of dishes like I'm sorry when did you move in here this was supposed to be your lab and now all of a sudden there it se- he's showering there yeah. there's dirty dishes in the sink you, it seems like he's he's the there physi- full time
0: the physics guy thinks it's safe to eat down there. <laughs> and
1: let me just point and out... And just let it pile up? Do you have a microwave down there? I want to point out the fact that no person in New York... And, and remember, he is supposed to be born and raised in New York. Nobody in New York calls it pop. No. Definitely not. Nobody calls it pop here. It's soda. You say soda. So, I, I, I there's what? just a lot about... Like, I know... That sounds like a really dumb thing to catch here. Well, it's but it it it, it separates him from the place where he grew geologically he has now been removed or geographically I should say geographically he has now been removed from the place he grew up and continues to live
0: like it's kind of understandable for Balthazar to do a Boston accent when he's impersonating NYPD. Yeah. Because clearly this is a man who is well traveled and sometimes he mixes up an accent here or there. But sacky. <laughs> yeah, too much sacky. But uh the whole thing all right, the whole thing with the brooms, first of all, it it is entirely unnecessary. Uh to f- to put in the middle of your movie. That being said, if they had found a way to do that as like you said like as an Easter egg or something like that. Imagine if that was the end credits scene. It would have been fine. Imagine if the end credits played with the original music playing underneath of it and you had like a scene where it's like they just need to clean up and they were using the brooms or something like that.
2: Maybe he's instead of going to France for breakfast, he's moved in with Becky. Their relationship is working out. We leave them in a good place. Yeah. And he's just starting to use his powers for fun.
0: Yeah. It Wait, would have worked. Or even Balthazar, like just alone in the in the like in the subway area, just like just like looking around, just disgusted at the fact that (laughs) first of all, it is exactly what it's advertised. It's an underground subway laboratory, so it's gonna be gross. Imagine him just like deciding, like, I gotta clean this up. He just snaps his fingers, and the brooms start going. Like it could have been fun. It could have been a fun thing to have as a nod. There, you didn't need to make it a thing
2: and also the music does feel so disconnected because the movie's scored but this score you know like i said before it's iconic but it comes to the forefront way too much and it almost it we're edging on becoming a musical in this sequence
1: yeah Let's move on from this because we're going to get stuck here if we stay any longer. Yeah. I'm very angry. Yeah. I want to move on. If you weren't angry before, huh, about to change that. I want to move to where you start to find out why Horvath is acting the way that he is. Now, we haven't really taken a lot of time to talk about Horvath as a villain, played by Alfred Molina. Love him in Love everything. Him. Love him in everything. I think he's good here. I think he's probably my favorite character in this movie, to be honest with you.
2: I wanted more of him. Yeah.
1: I wish we would have had more of him, but he only really pops up if there's a snatching and grab. And you've taken this very cool character, this monumentally talented actor, and you built him up into this evil sorcerer that wants to take over the world, and he's going to release Morgana, And you go, God, he's just pure concentrated evil.
0: Oh, because he's jealous of
1: the one that got away.
0: There's a part of me that hates it and there's a part of me that doesn't. The part of me that hates it is just because I've seen it so many times and it's such an overused motivation for any character to do anything ever. I was jealous. I felt like the world needed to be torn asunder the end (laughs) but also like I kind of appreciate it as a concept because like if you think about what the characters were you have three people who are destined to be Merlin's apprentices you have people who are completely different from everyone else on earth and one of them's a woman of course you're going to feel some sort of attachment to them I feel like there should have been more of an explanation as to exactly what happened there like maybe there was a situation where they had been together and it didn't work out, and then Balthasar swooped in, or maybe there was a, or maybe it never happened to begin with, and it was all in Horvat's head, which is even crazier. I, Other than that, it's just
2: kind
1: of
0: lame. lame.
2: Yeah, I mean, it definitely cheapens it. Like you said, we have seen it before a million times over. I almost wish that they had played it as instead of. The three successors of Merlin, maybe it was just the two of them and for whatever reason Balthazar became the chosen one and he's just spent centuries and centuries being jealous. Or maybe we have a situation where we eliminate the Veronica character altogether and it was Horvath that was in love with Morgana who turned evil and Balthazar was the one to put her away.
0: That could have been a a much better idea I yeah think.
1: or or if she was evil the entire time and played up on his weaknesses and, in other go. words she was using horvath as a vehicle so that she could get what she wanted
0: we have rewritten this movie
1: no less than four times okay. in the last hour
0: by and me. not only that but there's also like if, if we're going to keep rewriting it there's so many other little elements that needed to be included in that Like, first of all, okay, the idea of the jar constantly being like a Russian doll of other characters. Why weren't they fleshed out a little bit more? You had actual witches from Salem. And they got two lines of dialogue in this movie.
2: You hit it spot on. Sean, you can't see this because I'm behind you, but as Pat is speaking, I have been hitting my nose. Um, (laughs) That would have been my biggest rewrite is more... More of the Grimald. I mean, they've been traveling through centuries collecting souls and evil. I would have, and I don't care how much it would have been similar to Night at the Museum. I would have loved to see more and more historical figures coming out of there. And I wish that that was the movie, was that maybe Horvath is traveling around, unleashing these things at different places in the city. And one by one, they have to go track them down and put them back in.
0: Think about just the creepy places you could have in New York, where all of these characters could jump. Think about how many like like woodland based m- magical like figures you could have just for Central Park alone.
1: Right. Or if you wanted to horrify people, you could have just shot the entire thing in the South Bronx. Oh dear god.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, but even you're right. Like to to have an actual historical figure like Abigail Williams come through and they not only made her, like they made her a child. Yeah. It is so amazingly creepy. I, I love when she comes out of the grimoire. I, I
0: think it's
1: brilliant. Did the movie need a car chase?
0: Yes, actually. I I may be on the on the off end of this. Yes. It needed some sort of excitement and I think the car chase helped. The car chase may have actually been my favorite part of the movie.
2: I'm going to agree. And this is where I go back and forth, like I said at the top of the show, that I don't know that Jerry Bruckheimer was the right producer for this. So because he, he is the producer, of course you're going to get a car chase, even though it's not a Michael Bay movie. Um, but I actually thought this was one of the coolest things. And again, they rushed through it. When when they go through the mirror mm-hmm. and you're not only seeing Times square backwards, which was so well done. Um You know, I mean, it's as easy as, you know, reversing it's, it's the image camera, in post-production. Yeah, no, it does. It's so cool. But they get in and out of it so quick. They get in and out of every scene so quickly. Yeah. Like they set it up. There's a little bit of action and dialogue and they get you right back out. But, I I actually think this worked, and it it was a different kind of a car chase, and it's you know it plays to the magic element. You it, know, it's on brand for this movie. It
0: combined everything that it absolutely needed to with this, which is that it had the moments where they use the magic in creative ways, and they did like, especially uh, in the scene where they're trying to find where the Grimaldi is, yeah. and they use the ring to actually just make them swerve in traffic to find out which car it is. Like, yeah, I liked that. Yeah, even just transforming the car into like a, a decent you know, car chase car. Like, I think that that was good. I think that that actually points out one of my biggest flaws with the movie. This movie can't decide whether or not it wants to have the best special effects in the world or the worst.
1: Yes, so that actually was a note of mine. And and for the record, I thought the car chase was fun. Um, I think that some of the special effects here are really cheesy. Incredibly. And really bad. The bull. The bull. Well, here's the thing with the bull, and even the same thing with the gargoyle or eagle from the Chrysler building because at one point they call it a gargoyle and then at one point they call it an eagle because they don't know what it actually is. I feel like when you bring a statue to life but it's still a statue, you're not turning it into an actual bull. You're just animating a brass statue. Yeah. I think it's sort of hard to do do that without making it look that cartoony. I get
2: what you're trying to say, but where they failed is that I don't believe it's too fluid. I believe this bull would be like really clunky and really heavy. And that's not how it looks because I don't think that they spent enough time doing it.
0: I feel like there's, there's no moment where I felt like the, effects that were on screen were actually in the world like I felt like they were just kind of there the dragon I felt was just kind of there as a building was imploding instead of it actually causing damage I felt like the bull was just kind of walking through the city on like a non-stop like like gif animation loop of just a bull running I think though, like some of the things did work. The cars transforming I thought yeah. were really well done. I thought thought a lot of the close up things and the stuff with the with the circle of magic I thought looked really good. Some of this looks really great. And dare I say, I think that the Iron Eagle thing actually looks impressive when it's transforming back into the gargoyle shape. I think that that effect was actually really well done.
2: That is well done. What I really don't like about this final act is that all of a sudden, this movie tries to become every other New York movie that it's not. Like, I feel like it's really, and I'm surprised this didn't bother you more, Sean. I I feel like it's a blatant ripoff of Ghostbusters in the last act.
1: How so? Um, Because I see... Very little Ghostbusters in this whatsoever.
2: The Wall Street Bull coming to life reminds me of the Statue of Liberty. Uh Morgana reminds me a lot of Zool, the way that they bring her out. Um and the the Tesla signal that they're doing from um
1: From the satellites. From the
2: satellites, yeah.
1: Um you know, I I think if you I, I think if if you dig hard enough or think about it enough. You can see where it's a ripoff, but I just I I think it's the movies are so vastly different that I don't necessarily go there. What's more distracting to me is that as much as I like the fact, and I mentioned before, I like the fact that they took science and that they took something that he was studying at NYU to make it relatable to him. What's more distracting than anything else is that I felt like they went too far with that, and he never actually finishes
0: his training. He never trains properly in the movie, I don't think. He never does anything that actually like ends up playing a part in that final role. At no point is he actually trained with controlling objects with his mind or finding a way to harness surrounding energy. He trained to use that like plasma bolt thing, but it misses every time, and he has to use something else instead. Yeah. I
2: think that's where it would have been more effective if they had to go collect all of these people that were coming out of the Grimmauld. And that that's the training is that maybe he wasn't quite ready to take them on yet. But one by one, he's getting them back and he's starting to harness the powers, especially because in this scene, too, they made such a big deal of saying that when he's ready to become the prime Merlinian, he will no longer need the ring. I think he still needs it. I don't think he was ready to give it up. And I I get he had to save (laughs) Becky and and, you know, Horvath took it. Okay, fine, whatever. But there was nothing about this that was like, okay, Dave's ready to go take this on. In the science aspect, yes, he did because he used his experiment. And I like that they brought that full circle except for the broom. He had the broom help him and Becky's helping him to disrupt the signal but he had or I'm sorry it's not a broom it's a mop but yeah. he had the mop help him with the tesla coil setup oh and that was the other thing that reminded me of ghostbusters he's got the coil on the front of the car that didn't remind you of ecto one
1: not even close <laughs> nope <laughs> okay. not even slightly
2: well i'm just talking about in in the sense of having a car play a role
1: the vehicle from the time machine reminds me of Ecto-1 more than than the coil on the front of this car. I'm does. not saying
2: the aesthetic. I'm just saying conceptually.
1: No. It, it No, nothing about that reminded me of Ecto-1. Similarly distracting, though, we didn't talk about this aspect, and we will, And I and I want to talk about her as a character. Becky, climbing a skyscraper to reposition
0: a satellite dish magic there you go (laughs) is that just the answer you're in a movie with the sorcerers (laughs) like yeah of course it is i think that of all things is uh you know one of the least far-fetched things i think the most far-fetched things is that he's on one end of the city has to get to the other a friend drives across the city and then he has enough time to meet up with the final destination Uh, You don't think that he would have shown up an hour and a half late to an abandoned park and a world full of skeleton zombies coming up?
1: Two hours. At least two hours. Minimum. Her as a character, she's fine. I do not buy the two of them together.
0: I don't buy Becky and Dave at all. I don't think it was forced per se, but I don't think she's that interesting to begin with.
2: She's like the equivalent of Kristen Stewart for me. In fact, I think probably Kristen Stewart turned down this role, and that's where they got this gal. Um, uh,
0: that's... Ter- Teresa Palmer is her name. Teresa
2: Palmer, yeah. yes. Th- that's not a fact that I looked up. I'm just saying they probably couldn't get Kristen Stewart.
0: I actually had to look up her name because I wanted to see whether or not she was American because her accent slipped through more than a couple yeah. times when she was talking, and it was really distracting.
2: Um, I go... Back and forth. I mean, I like that they planted the childhood crush, but what I don't buy is that he's got to work so hard to impress her because, I mean, I get it. Dave is the underdog. He's never going to view himself as this Casanova, so I, I totally get that. But they knew each other. You have to assume, like, they both grew up on Long Island and maybe went to NYU or you know, they were in the same class as kids. I mean, maybe, okay, one of you moves away, you lose touch and you reconnect. I'll buy into that. But for the most part, I kind of feel like they would have grown up together. So this chance meeting in class, I I don't really, I think there are a million other ways that they could have gone about this. Also,
0: remember it is 2008. Facebook was a thing.
2: That's like, true too. They would have mm-hmm. they
0: would have they would have known about that, I think.
2: He would have at least known that she was going to NYU. He
0: would have stalked the hell out of her. And let's, they let's just should have started
2: it from there. Is that he never got over it. He's traumatized because they thought he wet his pants when he was a kid. Yeah. And he's carrying this torch and he's gotta you know, he's gotta figure out a way to to make it work with her, even though she still knows that he's still this
0: nerdy guy. By the way, was she in the crowd of people laughing? When he wet himself, she was. She not wasn't laughing. laughing I that couldn't she was actually there. see her. Yeah, because yeah. there's another child actress that looks just like her, who is terrifying when she laughs. Like they they zoomed in on her a little bit, and you could see that she's like in the front of it. Her eyes are wide, and she's cackling. Like it's it's really really scary.
2: I didn't notice that at all.
1: Oh, I did. Oh, you could see the white of her eyes from the International Space Station. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, do we have anything else to add before we give our final
0: say on this movie? Other than if I hear the phrase Prime Merlinian one more time, I'm going to have my head explode. <laughs> that yeah. got so grating.
2: Again, weak, weak writing. Like, I, Prime Merlinian. It is not even that easy to say. The words kind of meld together. We couldn't have thought of a- another name.
0: No. Apparently not. There's your answer. Apparently not. I do want to point out, like again, that like I feel like this movie like had a lot of great ideas, but I feel like some of them could have been fleshed out more. Like how many times? How many times did you ever see, uh, Jay Baruchel actually look at that book? That's a great point. Never, unless Balthazar was opening it for him.
2: Actually, I think he did look at it when he set the brooms and the
0: mops up. Oh, okay.
2: But, yeah. But again, like,
0: how good a training are you? Are you really ready to be a master of that if you've only read it once and it was to move brooms? Exactly. <laughs> to clean up pop. <laughs> to clean up pop. And, and dog pee. Don't forget the dog pee. <laughs> Anything else?
2: No. Why uh, don't we let our guests go
1: first? Yes, your final review, your final say of the Sorcerer's Apprentice.
0: I kind of don't want to be too hard on this movie because I have a feeling there may be a curse behind it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not even kidding. Uh, do you guys know what happened while they were filming this movie? Apparently, uh, when they were filming the car chase uh, at the towards the end of the movie, uh, they filmed it like early morning in the city so there'd be less traffic. Uh, one of the cars went out of control and crashed into a Sabaros.
2: Oh my gosh. And
0: it ran over two people.
2: Oh, my goodness.
0: Yeah. And now it says that they were just struck, but one of them was hit by a falling lamppost, which if you're in a car accident and you get hit by a lamppost, I don't know what you're doing, but you're doing being a pedestrian wrong. (laughs) And then the night after when they were filming, another accident happened. Oh, God. They blamed it on the roads being slick, but I don't honestly know.
2: I mean, to be fair, it is Manhattan. (laughs) <laughs> i'm not trying to knock it but you know you have so many cars and so many pedestrians yeah it's gonna
0: happen but uh, in the pedestrians uh, defense the Sabaros wasn't moving around <laughs> <laughs> i had seen bits of this beforehand and finally gave it a full watch I expected this to be terrible, and it wasn't. But at the same element, I don't think that it was really anything special. I think it had a lot of great ideas that could have been molded into seven or eight different movies, and I feel like they chose the weakest story to tell from all of it. Uh, That being said, it has some memorable performances in it. I really do like Alfred Molina. Uh, I I love Nicolas Cage, despite the fact that I feel like he was really either holding back or was told not to be... Over the top, and I feel like Jay Baruchel had some moments where he kind of shined through, but I don't think this was a moment where he really had a lot of material where he could work with. I feel like as a movie in general, it's worth watching at least once just to kind of see like what, at the time, Disney was trying to put out. Because in terms of like other movies that they were putting out at the time, you could tell that this was somewhere in the middle of trying to make your own story and also cash-grabbing on absolutely everything else that was going on around them. Um, I think it's good, but not great. I think it's okay, but not terrible. I think it's just like right boor- middle of the road.
2: I agree with pretty much everything that Pat says. Um starting with the trying to capitalize it's very interesting that you bring that up S- starting to capitalize on what else was popular at the time i feel like this was the answer to the harry potter call mm-hmm. and the aw shucks we passed on that and we made a really huge mistake uh we have joked that that is one of the things that if walt were alive today he would have fired everyone who <laughs> who made the decision to pass on harry potter um I will say that for a Nicolas Cage movie, I hated this a lot less than I thought I was going to. And the things that I hate about it are surprisingly not Nicolas Cage. But I think that's also because this wasn't like a Nicolas Cage vehicle. And he was Cage on Quaaludes. He wasn't reacting to everything the way that he normally does. Um, The things that I don't like about it are... Well, it's not even... You know what? It's not that I don't like what's here. It's that I'm too focused on what could have been. And maybe that's a personal issue, but I think it does speak to having a weak script and a weak story because, like you said before, Sean, we were able to rewrite this 12 times over. Um, So taking away what I want to see... And just focusing on what is here, I think that overall, this film is too busy. It starts that way in the setup where they're in the medieval times and it doesn't stop there. Uh, I think that it would have served this film a lot better if they had folded some of these scenes into each other. For example, the two Becky dates could have been one thing. And maybe that's actually where now that I'm thinking about it, Dave does start to harness his powers and that's where they capitalize on the, the animated film is that he actually learns how to harness the mops and the brooms and puts them away, gets the place cleaned up and then he puts on his concert for her. You could have moved the character forward and cut out a bunch of scenes had you done something like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a fun movie. Uh, Is it a great movie? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. Do I think that this is a fair representation of the animated Sorcerer's Apprentice? Absolutely not. I think this is very unfair to Fantasia. Um, But it's it's not awful. I will give it that.
1: It's not perfect, but it is fun. It's got a lot going for it. Like you said, Pat... Some really memorable performances. What stood out to me is that the the movie wasn't afraid of racking up a body count um, for for what it is. But the I, I I'm predisposed to disliking anything that has that much One Republic in the soundtrack. <laughs> but I think it's it gets better every time you watch it. At the same token, you can also get a little bit more frustrated because you see the clear path where they could have gone and they could have fixed a lot of the issues. The biggest issue with this movie is the pacing of it. But with that being said, would I watch it again? Yes. Am I going to watch it again tonight? No flipping way. But we're interested in knowing what you have to say about it. You can let us know what your review of The Sorcerer's Apprentice is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Radio. You can also email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week coming up, but first, a quick break.
2: If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked... Reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com.
1: News of the week. This week they have announced that we are getting another Disney family sing-along. This time it's going to be the holiday sing-along coming to ABC on Monday, November 30th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And amongst the performers in this sing-along, Pink, uh, Andrea Bocelli, Michael Buble, and then you've got BTS. This is a very, like this is a hodgepodge for sure. There's no real rhyme or reason to that. Adam Lambert, the Huffs are back because they're always there. Leslie Odom, Katy Perry, Kerry Washington, and Slayer. <laughs> Nothing would surprise me less.
2: We will be live tweeting, though. Especially, yes. I mean, with this lineup, how could we not?
1: How are you feeling about this lineup? Because we worked, we met working in Top 40 Radio. How do you feel about this lineup?
0: I feel like I'm going to watch the highlights the day after, like I did with the last one. I don't feel like I need to... Uh... I feel like none of these is geared towards me personally, but I don't know.
1: Uh, well, like you said, we're going to be live tweeting, but we were going to watch it anyway. Certainly, I'll watch for Michael Bublé. That makes me happy. And I'm, I'm just just—I'm curious to see how Adam Lambert handles Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas.
0: Uh, that was actually what I was going to ask. Are they doing just Christmas uh, staples, or are they doing like... Disney things mixed into it.
2: Oh, they have the song list
1: released they, Yeah, They do. Okay, so uh, Andrea Bocelli is doing Silent Night, BTS is doing Santa Claus is Coming to Town, which should be Bruce Springsteen. Bublé is doing It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. Sierra is doing Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Oh, that'd be cool. Um it, I don't and uh, I'm going to show my age. Chloe X Haley. Am I saying this right? I guess. Chloe X Haley?
2: Is this one word? You're asking me. You're looking I, at me I like know. I know. Um, I used to be up on this stuff. I'm really
1: not. Somebody let us know on on social media how badly I massacred that and what a fool I've made of myself. I'm still trying to figure out TikTok. Well, Chloe X Haley or exhale or whatever is doing, do you want to build a snowman? Um. So that's not Christmas, but it's Disney. I think that counts. Uh, that, I think
2: that... Josh Gad should do it.
1: Mm. The Huffs are doing Hey Santa, Jingle Bells, Whistle While You Work, and Let It Snow. I don't know. Didn't they already do a Whistle While You Work? Why are they doing it again? That's also not Christmas. That's, to- that's so far away from Christmas. I don't understand that one. Uh, Adam Lambert, Yep, Have Yourself a Mariolo Christmas. Leslie Odom Jr. is doing What's This?
2: <gasps>
0: that's
1: cool.
2: That's rad. Okay, Pat, you might have to watch I
1: might that.
0: have to watch this
2: one,
1: yeah. Katy Perry is doing I'll Be Home for Christmas and Cozy Little Christmas. Pink is doing The Christmas Song, also known as Chestnuts uh, chest Roasting on an Open Fire. And Carrie Washington's doing Joy to the World. So by and large, this is a Christmas-centric show, which it should... I mean, it, it, I get that. I, um,
0: I think I have an idea that Whistle While You Work is going to be... Uh, played during like a scene where like elves are working on toys or something like that. Or they're decorating uh, a Christmas
2: tree or something. Yeah.
1: Okay. I'm with you. But this seems to be interesting. Um, let us know if you guys are going to be watching on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at monoreal radio. You can also email us monoreal radio at gmail.com. As I mentioned before, Pat, thank you so much for joining us for your third trip uh, around the park on the monoreal
0: Pleasure as always. Thanks for having me. Do you
1: have any social media you want to plug while you are here?
0: Well, like I told you, I just joined Steam. So if you want to play games with me, I'm at uh, Pat's On The Air. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at Pat's On The Air as well. And occasionally I will post things that are not just memes about wrestling. So you can uh, hit me up there. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us this and every week on
1: Monorail Radio. Don't forget to follow us on all of that social media and to like, subscribe, and review the show on your podcast platform of choice. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On
0: behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.